So I'm going to speak from the parable that we've just read. And you know it's been a weekend of parties and celebration. Yesterday there was a wedding here when the daughter of Rosie Coates was married. I'm told that Rosie's three daughters were all married at All Saints, and so was Rosie herself to Julian, and so were Rosie's own parents. So that's quite something, isn't it? On Friday night, as some of you will know because you were there, there was a memorable sort of retirement party for Pam, with lots of people coming to say and sing thank you to her. Uh, Next week, there's going to be a presentation to her in the services, and there's a box at the back if you haven't yet put in a little uh, gift. But also on Friday was the wedding of Princess Eugenie and Jack Brooksbank, and some of you may have watched that or at least seen the pictures. Now, I don't suppose you know this, but I actually had an invitation to that wedding. In fact, as in this story, I had two or three invitations. But I, I replied saying, Dear Duke of York, Thank you for your invitation to your daughter's wedding. Sadly, I am unable to come, as I have a sermon to prepare for all saints, which I am sure you will agree is far more important than attending a royal wedding. However, I do hope that it's a very happy day for all concerned, and I trust that my absence will not spoil the celebrations or dampen the atmosphere. Yours sincerely, etc. Now, by your laughter, I sense that some of you don't believe that I had an invitation or that if I had received one, I would have replied in that manner. And of course, you're completely correct. But I have stayed in the grounds of Windsor Castle, close to St. George's Chapel, where the wedding took place. There's a conference centre there known as St. George's House, which hosts select groups of people for little conferences to discuss this, that and the other. And I was once there for a weekend. And on the Saturday evening, we had a very posh dinner in the crypt of the castle of Windsor Castle. And I seem to remember that Archbishop George Carey, who was Archbishop at the time, was there and was the kind of guest speaker. And I remember this anecdote and nothing else from his talk. He told us that in the 1950s, there was a school reunion at a public school for those who had left, oh, 50 years ago. And it may even have been Moncton Coombe School. Some of the old boys had risen to high position and prominence, but the old schoolboy rivalries had not been forgotten. And after the reunion, two middle-aged gentlemen were waiting on the nearby station platform, which for all I know could have been the old Moncton Coombe halt, um, waiting to catch a train to Bath and then London. And one was a bishop, and the other had risen to be a vice-admiral. Both were in their uniform, so to speak. And at one point, the portly bishop, dressed in his episcopal cassock and cloak, who had heartily disliked the vice-admiral when at school, turned to him, knowing full well he was, and said, I say, station master, when is the next train due? To which the vice-admiral replied, In a few moments, madam, but should you be travelling in your condition? Well, all of that... Even the bit about the fancy dress is a link to the parable that Jesus told, or maybe the two parables that have been compressed into one in the Matthew 22 version. It's all about wedding parties, invitations, and spurned invitations, as well as the need to be properly dressed if you do turn up. Now, I've got six W's, but you'll be glad to know only three points, to help you remember After I've told you the first two W's, you might work out, try to work out what the next four are. 
So my first two are a wonderful wedding. Jesus began this story, as he often did, with these familiar words. The kingdom of heaven is like, not exactly, so you can't do things exact correspondences, but like. A king had planned a banquet to be attended by scores, hundreds of people. Probably a banquet or a party that went on for days, not like ours. It was a special banquet because it was to celebrate the wedding of his son, and the custom in the Middle East was for these events to go on for a week or more. And because he was a king, this was a royal occasion with all the pomp and circumstance that you can imagine for such an occasion. And although you can't always find a spiritual equivalent in a parable between a character and something else, you don't have to look very far to realize that this is a picture of God the Father throwing a party for his son and inviting many guests to it. You know, in the scriptures, there are many pictures of what it means to experience eternal life. And we understand through pictures. But this is one crucial picture. At the heart of the Christian experience, there is all the joy, laughter, love, fun, and emotion that you would expect to find at a wedding. There's the ceremony itself when the church or tent is all decorated. People are in their finest. Everyone hopefully is on their best behavior. Tears flow when the bride enters and when they make their vows. There's teasing and joking and music and dancing and good food and wine. And that's what the kingdom of heaven here and now is supposed to be like. We had some of that on Friday night. And I expect they had that yesterday at the wedding in spite of the blustery winds and rain. Do you remember a few years ago there was a controversial poster put up by the Humanist Society on a bus which read, there's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. The implication being that if you think there is a God, it just adds to worry and and the end to enjoyment. And there are many who believe that religion or belief and trust in God adds to guilt and fear and division. And Yes, we have to admit that there are plenty of versions of religion, including Christianity, which have done just that. Often Christians have a reputation for accentuating the negative. An American humorist described Puritanism as the haunting fear that someone somewhere might be happy. Most people think of religion as a series of shalt nots, thou shalt not, rather than shall do's. And another cynic once said, all religions are just guilt with different holidays. Christianity is sometimes seen as all about restriction, dullness, rules, and seriousness. But to see those things as being at the heart of the Christian faith is a distortion of God's intentions. The first three fruits of the Holy Spirit are, as you know, love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace. Those are the first three fruits from a relationship with Jesus Christ. What's not to like there? And a wedding is a feast of love and joy. 
the gospel is not first and foremost, as some have preached about saving us from judgment and hell, or giving us faces that look as if they've just drunk a pint of lemon juice and vinegar. Absolutely not. God is delighted when human beings enjoy all that he has created for them in the physical world and the spiritual world. That's why a wedding, both the ceremony and the celebrations that follow it, is a good picture of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding. But of course, a wedding may be full of love and joy, but often, as you know, the run-up to it can be a bit fraught. And one of the trickiest things about a wedding is the invitation list. Who to invite? How many will the budget stretch to? Shall we have some to the sit-down lunch and a few more to the disco and sausage rolls later? Who in the family do we have to invite? How many of mum and dad's friends have to come? Well, we got invited to her wedding, so I suppose we'll have to invite her to ours. I don't know if you've ever been to a party or organized a wedding reception and faced those questions and dilemmas. I expect you have. But that is not a problem in this story, which is why I come to my second set of W's. Wide open welcome. In this banquet, there are no restrictions on who can come. Anyone and everyone is invited and is welcome. It is true that there were some people who were first on the list, but when these wouldn't come, the invitation was thrown wide open. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. There's a similar but not identical version of this story in Luke. Jesus would tell the same story, I'm sure, lots of times to different people, and he would modify it depending on the audience. And in that one, uh, the, the king says, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you had ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. The invitation is to the good and the bad, the rich and the poor, healthy and sick. It is not confined to class or caste or nationality or standard or lack of standard of morals or education or bank balance or anything at all. The invitation, come and follow me, is to each one of us wide open. Now, in case, though, you're thinking, ah, yeah, but I've read that story carefully, and there was an A list of invites, and then there's a B and C list of invites, don't be troubled. We shouldn't think that God has a B or C list of invitees. It is true that Peter and the apostles used to think like that. That's the way they'd been brought up. That's the way all Jews were. But God showed Peter very clearly through his encounter with the centurion Cornelius that it isn't like that. 
when Peter sees what God is doing in the life of Cornelius and his household, he exclaims, and these are really, really important words in the New Testament, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Some of us will be doing that story in Wasps on Tuesday morning when we do our Open the Book. And Len is going to be playing God and the Angel. He's a talented man. No, we are not there just to make up the numbers, we Gentiles, not at all. It was always the eternal purpose of God that all humanity should be invited to the feast. But now I come to my third pairing of W's, a word of warning. So far, it's been so good. I've given you the best bits of the parable, the bits that reassure and comfort, that make us feel good. God's invitation is to everyone, and it is an invitation to the best kind of life and experience you can imagine. Fantastic. Truly amazing grace. But if I leave it there, I've skipped over some parts, and it's very tempting to skip over some parts, given the difficulties that this parable presents. What does the king do in this parable to those people who ignore the invitation and then murder the messengers? Slight exaggeration. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Ouch. And then there's a story of the poor chap who's been brought in from the streets and has not dressed up for the occasion. What happens to him? Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm, Oh dear. So this is where I think we all should be feeling a bit uncomfortable trying to reconcile our understanding of the God who loves to go on loving and giving, forgiving and accepting with this picture of the terrible, of the king who matches the terrible deeds of the Um, guests, the invited guests, matches them with equally fearsome deeds of his own, or who casts into outer darkness somebody who just turned up in jeans and trainers. Well, I want to say two very quick things about this. It does require a longer sermon to explain that. First of all, many people down the ages have struggled to make sense of this parable and a couple of others like it especially in the Gospel of Matthew and there's a reason for that but as I say and I don't think it's a cop out too detailed to go into now but I'm happy to have a conversation afterwards but secondly it is true that in the Gospels there are many things that Jesus said which if we look them squarely in the eye as it were will make us uncomfortable they challenge our lifestyle our commitment and also our sense of who Jesus is. Nowadays, there is a tendency to filter out all the difficult, challenging bits in Scripture and the Gospels and just focus on the soft, easy bits. If in previous centers, Christians presented an image of God as a God of wrath and punishment, we're in danger of seeing God only as a loving friend, the my best mate school of Christianity. Both are distortions. But, nevertheless, 
there is something here to bring us up sharp so that is why I say a word of warning if you choose to treat with indifference the invitation from God or worse still treat it with hostility and try to stamp it out as many have done there will be consequences the first of course is that you are missing out on that gift of life if having been invited and you decide to come you don't accept the offer of the clothes to wear or make any other sign of commitment other than just showing up there are going to be consequences if we say no to God if people say no to God to the call of the Lord Jesus there will be adverse consequences for ourselves and for others very quickly 40 years after Jesus said those words the city of Jerusalem was totally destroyed and tens of thousands died some see that as a judgment of God I don't what I see is this if the Jewish people had turned to Jesus Christ they would have turned to a religion of love and forgiveness they would not have rebelled against the Romans they would not have slaughtered a Roman legion of 5,000 men which brought upon them the total destructive force of Rome the early Christians were known for their peaceableness their forgiveness their prayers for the emperor they were not rebels but the people of Israel most of them did not turn to Jesus instead went down a route of rebellion and recrimination and vengeance and they suffered terrible consequences but lest you think this word of warning doesn't apply to you or to me because we are here this morning we've said yes and we've put our clothes on as it were and because we said yes to the invitation 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago and we put on, on those right clothes remember that the invitation to respond to God is not a one-off one the word invite used in this story is the word to call kaleo, call there is always the call of God on our lives to do this or that to change this or that to be this or that it never stops and even as a mature Christian we can still say maybe oh Lord I'm too busy or I have other things to attend to or later and when we're deaf to the present call of God on our lives then we're missing out on things and others may be missing out because of how God wants to bless them through us there are always consequences for actions and for non-actions Bishop Tom Wright, the renowned Bible scholar, said about this passage, This parable often bothers people because it doesn't say quite what we want it to. We want to hear a nice story about God throwing a party open to everyone. We want, as people now fashionably say, to be inclusive, to let everyone in. We don't want to hear about judgment. We want to hear that everyone is all right exactly as they are, that God loves us as we are and doesn't want us to change. But when the blind and lame came to Jesus, he didn't say, you're all right as you are. He healed them. When the prostitutes and extortioners came to Jesus, he didn't say, you're all right as you are. His love reached them where they were. 
but his love refused to let them stay as they were. So, we must be mindful of the word of warning in this parable, but not miss the big picture. The King, God the Father, has a wide open invitation and welcome for all people everywhere to join the party, his party. And what we have to do is to have enough sense and humility to accept his offer, not ignore it, oppose it, or expecting to be let in on our own terms and conditions.